November 14th, 1999. One of the biggest hip-hop albums of the decade came out. But nowadays, everybody want to talk like they got something to say, but nothing comes out when they move their lips just a bunch of gibberish and motherfuckers act like they forgot about Willennium. In Pokemon, the first movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back, the psychic Pokemon unleashes diabolical plan to separate millions of dollars from parents with a 75-minute commercial. Sesame Street celebrated its 30th anniversary, the Pearl Anniversary. For the occasion, Ernie gave Bert a bottle cap, you sick fucks. Meanwhile, in Detroit, Michigan, Steve Austin faced a car at Survivor Series. This may not be a Survivor Series classic. This is Hell in a Cell Phone. Welcome to another episode of Hell in a Cell Phone, the podcast where we attempt to make sense of the Attitude Era of WWE 20 years later. I'm your host, Aaron Benoit, and I'm joined as always by our wrestling historian, Bobby Hankinson. Hello. And experiencing this all for the first time, Eric Silver. Happy to be on the podcast with episodes as long as your average New Year's resolution. (laughs) Sick burn. Yeah, you guys, you assholes, you're not going to stick with it. And while we're at it, make it your New Year's re- resolution to rate and review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And and stick with that one, please. <laughs> All right, so movies around that time. Uh, also coming out this week, Dogma, which I definitely felt like uh, the rebellious kid at the Catholic school for uh, standing that for far too long. Well, okay, question about Dogma. Um, I remember everybody being like, this is, like, the most, uh, what's the word? Like, subversive. Sacrilegious, subversive Mm -hmm. movie about religion. And it was basically just, like, a comic book dork, like, reading, you know, like, uh, attacking the Bible the way he would attack Green Lantern, right? Uh, yes. Well, basically, I mean, it's basically, it's, it's, it's no accident. I think that George Carlin is in the movie because it's basically like a George Carlin, like, isn't religion bad? Yes. Right. Bit stretched out, stretched out into movie form. And then the rest of it, yeah, the rest, the rest of it is like, um, in Job 322, um, we noticed that, uh, God is, uh, he's, he's forgiving, but then in other times he's not. What were you saying, Bobby? I was saying, I feel like when it came out, my reaction to it was like it was like piss Christ. You know what I mean? Like it was like a super like in your face uh, state artistic statement. <laughs> and what it ended up being was like, <laughs> the Da Vinci Code. Depth, I feel. I mean, the Da Vinci Code is also a little bit of piss Christ, but in a different way. Yeah. I mean, Dogma did do uh, "What If Jesus Was Fucking" a few years before the Da Vinci Code came out. So, also coming out the same day, "The Messenger: The Story of Joan of Arc" from Luc Besson, who gave us the Fifth Element. Oh, yeah, with uh, with uh, Mila Jovovich. Yep. Was that good? I never saw it. Same. <laughs> Like uh, but also, you know, given Luc Besson's, uh, I don't know, let's just say 
uh, flaky career in movies, there's probably a good chance it wasn't. But I mean, at this point, he was like cranking out the hits, wasn't he? Like La Femme Nikita, um, The Professional, which I still think is is uh, one of the best action movies ever made. Um, yeah, really and then the fifth element. Into that hot take. You really, you really were I, like, oh, testing the waters, really dipping into yeah. it. Like, I, <laughs> Which uh, I still, you know, I yeah. still think has the sexiest love interest. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of confidence in that. <laughs> Just going to see what the water's like before I get into the hot tub. Yeah, 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 yeah. The week before, um, the number one movie was The Bone Collector, which was the uh, the basis for a Bobby Hankinson stand-up bit for about three years in his early career. Yes. Still probably brings out. Yeah. Hey, it still works. It, it, mm-hmm. it way predated that. It definitely, literally, I remember the first time I said it was to Megan. We were sitting at Empire Cafe. I could see it clear as day. We used to have date night every week. We went to Empire Cafe, and we're, um, which is this place in Houston. Um, still there, I assume. Oh, God. Oh, now I'm bummed. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that was the first time I said it, and I, Megan laughed probably like the hardest I've ever seen her, and I was like, okay. That, that's why I think when I started doing comedy, uh, this is my like WWE 24 documentary now. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, that was one of the first go-tos I went to. But yes, I actually did also see this movie. Like, I was uh, my very close, like my like very close friend at this time, who I'm still, friend, who I'm still very good friends with. Um, her name is Nicole, went through a really big uh, Angelina Jolie phase, was like, thought, like, like, really thought that she was like the coolest and like, was just like obsessed with her. This was very like girl interrupted, uh, saw her in that. Gia. Gia. Yes. And so we watched literally everything. I mean, I've seen so many movies of Angelina Jolie's like early career, um, including this one, uh, which is not good. Did you ever see this uh, is the one with Denzel, Denzel Washington, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I didn't see it. This this to me just gets lumped in with um, all of the uh, the Ashley Judd crime movies that came yeah, out around the same it. time. Yes. Morgan yeah. Freeman, the James the James Patterson stuff, yeah. like uh, Kiss the Spider, uh, Kiss the Girls, <laughs> kiss, kiss, and, the spider. kiss the Spider. Along came the girls. <laughs> Did you ever see? Um, it, I want to say it came out in like ninety four, ninety five. Angelina Jolie movie called Foxfire. Yes, I fucking love that movie legitimately with Jenny Lewis, with a young Jenny Lewis. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, uh, um, I remember uh, this was back when I would just spend my weekend staying up until like four or five in the morning watching just whatever was on HBO. And that was one came out. I was like, ooh, this looks like it might be kind of sexy. And I was like, oh, no, it's just a, a, a nice story about a bunch of girls banding together for, and sticking up for each other. Yeah, also, Wait, I think I did Hulu. see Foxfire. I think it's on Hulu now because I keep being like, oh, I need to rewatch it because I fucking used to love that movie. Yeah, so that was also part of this whole experience. But a young Jenny Lewis, um, the supermodel, and also one time Angelina Jolie paramour Jenny Shimizu, uh, also in that film. Uh, also a fucking banger Riot Girl soundtrack, like you would not believe. Very very good soundtrack to that movie. Um, weren't they like weren't didn't they have like a, a hideout up in like a roof somewhere or something uh, more or less there's there's ele- I understand where you would have pieced those elements together yes from a, a variety of scenes but there is a okay. um, stick and poke tattoo scene that is scored to Kristen Hirsch me and my charms that I still find like very enchanting uh, that's that's the scene that plays in my head when I think about that movie that song fucking rules too I just I love that movie is honestly very good I <laughs> Uh, do you know, do you know who, who did the story for Foxfire? 
I think no. it's a, I want to say it's a, isn't it a remake? I want to say there was like a, it's inspired at least by like a, there was like an old film that this was like an updated no, version. Uh, Maybe. It's based, it's based on a, on a novel by Joyce Carol Oates. Yes, that's what yeah. it was. I knew it was something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was weird. So weird. So it wasn't based on the novel Push by Sapphire. <laughs> yes. Based on the novel Foxfire by, by Joyce Carol Oates. By, based on the novel Push by Foxfire, right. <laughs> and then uh, the week after this, the Sleepy Hollow movie came out, as well as The World is Not Enough, featuring Denise Richards as a nuclear scientist <laughs> Christmas Dr. Jones. <laughs> Dr. Chris, I think it's Christmas Jones. I need to check yeah, this. Yeah, Dr. Christmas. Yeah. Hey, Christmas was her first name, but what's that? No, no, no I'm just thinking about I'm picturing a movie called Dr. Christmas right now. Dr. And, and Dr. How, has that, how has that not come out on uh, Hallmark already? It'd be like Dr. Christmas Hands. Um, then they that movie also has the uh, amazing final line. Um, I... I thought Christmas only came once a year. No. Yes. Yes. No. Bobby, this is why I've been telling you to watch the the it's James Bond movies. I feel like people act like the James Bond movies are good, like sincerely good, not like um like actually good, <laughs> like not like you know, I, or at least as good as the better Fast and Furious movies. It depends oh, which movies oh. you're talking about. Okay, well, that's, yeah. depends. Wait, wait, it depends which movies you're talking about because um, everything up until the um, uh, what's his name now, Daniel, the Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig, Daniel, yeah, Daniel Craig ones are like they're like a serious. Those are the first ones to be super super serious, okay. and they're like um, they're they're closer to like Mission Impossible. Yeah, uh, you know, like having that kind of like. Uh, pathos right because basically in the first in casino royale they have this like extreme like the the first scene in casino royale is like an extremely uh tone setting scene where he just brutally murders a guy in a in a bathroom whereas every other movie before i i guess like the timothy dalton ones were a little uh darker but they weren't dark in the same way Mm -hmm. they were still kind of like uh, they were still kind of like coked up in a, in a certain way. Like they were a little bit cokey eighties um, and they still had like Duran Duran in the soundtrack, but everything else like Roger Moore and especially Sean Connery is, and and also the Pierce Brosnan and stuff is like all camp. It's- I mean, you know, th- there's cool stuff, but then there's also a lot of puns, a lot of like cheeky, cheeky moments. You know what it is? I guess. Well, one, I always remember. I always associate James Bond with like things that would be on like Channel Eleven on like a Saturday afternoon, and my dad would be watching them, and I'm like, wow, extremely boring. Yeah. However, I yeah. also think that part of it is I think there's so many campy satires of James Bond, whether you're looking at even Charlie's Angels, Get Smart, Austin Powers, that I guess I always just sort of like always looked at James Bond as the straight man, like as the boring stodgy thing that all these other things are lampooning, you know, or mm-hmm. like playing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like having fun with them. Like, well, I like the fun version. I probably won't like the original boring ass bullshit one. Like that. Those all seem like they're such direct commentaries. Like, Oh, what if James Bond was fun? Uh, so I felt like, <laughs> Oh, that must imply ha. that existing James Bond is not fun. Uh, which was my impression that it was like born and mission impossible and whatever, just with like, uh, in, you know, as you go back in time, like worse effects. 
Yeah, no, it's that. Yeah, you make a good point. It's weird. I mean, I I think there there probably were other movies that were a little more serious. I mean, look, James Bond do, did have like serious action parts as well. So there was like a there was a seriousness to it, but there was also like a bit of, you know, I think the I think part of him being like the coolest motherfucker ever is the fact that he would make these like tongue-in-cheek jokes and he would make puns and there would be little things so i there 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 always was a bit of a sense of humor to james bond all throughout those movies um but they did also have a seriousness i mean there's also movies like like um in like flint or our man flint or whatever which are also supposed to be a bit of a parody even though they're also action it's it's a weird time like that i i think like the whole like uh mod 60s shit is very weird like i think the man from uncle might have been more serious i don't know hmm. but i mean but Denise but Richard, those movies like, are good chris dr christmas <laughs> jones or whatever it sounds like a fucking dream i just saw it was you know denise richards of course spoiler alert everybody pops up at the end of love actually uh and so i just recently had seen her there <laughs> and thought of christmas ah. jones during christmas time uh, you know i thought it all kind of fit nicely <laughs> so in, in doing doing research for the opener um and finding out that it was sesame street's 30th anniversary um i stumbled on the muppet wiki so i was like oh i wonder what they did for it turns out they got write-ups in vanity fair people magazine and quilt magazine wow quilt magazine <laughs> just the existence of quilt magazine i, I mean if Road anything be real mad he got bumped for that cover <laughs> <laughs> they uh they actually had the writers in stitches. Oh. oh. Hey, hey, hey. Yes. Waka waka. Um Quilt Magazine probably is still in print because people who read Quilt Magazine and use like the patterns in Quilt Magazine are the only people left who are still reading a magazine. They actually produce it on a loom. It's a woven magazine. <laughs> <laughs> right. We had the it's, um, it's 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 uh, Odysseus's wife who just sits there uh, creating each ep- each issue of uh, of of Quilt magazine. Sorry, that's an Odyssey reference. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> we can go highbrow sometimes. Sure, sure. Just just waiting. She she started her publication empire just waiting for her husband to come home. Yeah, and there were all these suitors that were trying to uh, you know be the be the editor in chief. And actually, uh, nice segue there, Eric, because right around this time, Hercules, the legendary journeys came to its end. So Kevin Sorbo was allowed to uh, spend the rest of his time focusing on just being terrible. Just the fucking worst. Talk about talk about a show that always used to be on Channel 11, mm-hmm. at, you know, <laughs> on a Sunday. And I was always like, there's no way I'll be I'll be interested in this. Like, I, I never had it, it looked like. The worst. I mean, maybe people really liked it. I think, but like, it looked like the worst production value. And as somebody who like grew up loving Greek mythology, uh, I was just like, absolutely not. I will not do this. I also feel like there's like a kind of show that just looks like, and the shows like every show on CBS looked like this until like two years ago. But I feel like <laughs> it was like hercules it was like dr quinn medicine woman touched by an angel that like they all shared the same equipment and crew and sets and mm-hmm. just changed costumes dramatically between like shoots 
because uh, they all kind of have the same vibe. They all sort of blurred together. And also, why the fuck would anyone watch Hercules when we had Xena? Okay. <laughs> but they were connected. It was know, the same universe. I... And, I know, and Okay, so, so the answer to that is because my father didn't have cable. So every other weekend, I was at my dad's house. And when you have, like, four channels to choose from on a Saturday afternoon... Uh, and, and most of them are golf, you're going to watch Xena and Hercules, and you're going to watch a lot of it. And also, um, Sam Raimi is behind it. So... Yes. There's, there's, really? Sam Raimi was he, behind those? He, he, he was EP. There's there's a decent pedigree there, and I think that they did a pretty... I, I mean, I haven't obviously watched it in 20 years, but I think that they had a decent pedigree, and they did the best with what they, they did. Um, also, Courage the Cowardly Dog made its premiere, which is uh, low-key, um, pretty pretty good animated from that era. The Medal of Honor game came out, and we haven't even gotten to the music. We had Rage Against the Machine's Battle for Los Angeles, which, honestly, even without the parental advisory sticker and the fuck you, I won't do what you tell me, I think is a better album than their first two. Lil Wayne's first album, The Block is Hot, Mariah Carey's Rainbow, Counting Crows, This Desert Life, Foo Fighters, There is Nothing Left to Lose, Crazy Town, The Gift of Game, Corn Issues, Beck, Midnight Vultures, Metallica, S&M, and Eiffel 65's Europop. Wow. Um, I was, I remember dating a girl who was really into, um, into. Butterfly. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. I, I wanted, I wanted to guess which one it was before you said it, but I, I knew it was going to be crazy town. <laughs> oh yeah. It was definitely, she wasn't into like the whole album, the whole, the whole band of crazy town, but she really liked butterfly. And I used to make fun of her mercilessly. <laughs> I'd be like, you're my butterfly sugar baby. And like, I'm pretty sure that's why it, things ended. There's... I don't know. <laughs> There's that scene in uh, the movie Orange County, which was a pretty funny movie, also, uh, where like ev- all the like popular girls get together and do it, just do a dance to Butterfly, like apropos of nothing. And it seemed like there was a real truth behind it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know there there is something to that song. It's like it's not good, but it's also kind of like good. It's 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 got that Sugar Ray <laughs> element to it. Yes. The albums that I owned from this time was uh, the Rage Against the Machine one, um, the Counting Crows one, and the uh, the Metallica, the Symphony and Metallica album. You know, I didn't have any of these albums. I'm trying to think. Like, I'm aware Same. of a lot of them happening. I knew the singles and all that. Like, all these are things I was aware were happening. I'm trying to think of what I was listening to the fall of 99. I imagine that it would. That is a list that would definitely include the band Creed for sure, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, probably the band Fuel, probably Our Lady Peace, uh, and then I also think I was like going through like a a, a deep eighties thing at this point too, where I was like going, I was like all the I was really into the Go Go's, but I'm still really into the Go Go's. Uh, but you know what I mean, like a bunch of stuff like that, uh, Billy Idol, like all that kind of shit. I was Bobby, like, you know, oh my God. discover. I was like discovering it as like a thirteen year old. <laughs> I I think Bobby, if 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 "Clumsy" by Our Lady Peace came on right now, like the whole album, I think I would be able to sing along to every song. Oh yeah, um, at least like at least "Clumsy," <laughs> but probably <laughs> other ones I would recognize, and I would probably at least like know the chorus. 
Um, no, Superman's dead, right? Oh my god! Oh my god! Wow, what a blast from the past! Because he's truly banned. This is something I have not uh, revisited in quite some time, and I have literally no desire to do so. <laughs> Though um, I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to remember these some of these like any of these songs. Very, like, it was I don't think I know. Definite like alt rock. Um, but you know, as I, I think we were texting about the Eve Six Twitter. If anybody's been following the Eve Six Twitter fucking amazing yes the guy from eve six yes. has had like a revival on twitter and he's like spilling all the tea and all these like <laughs> people from the 90s it's very funny and like he's very very fucking funny and that has been my favorite little christmas treat was like just like spending time reading that entire timeline yeah he he's just basically like uh like hey did, did your did your diary entries from as a teenager ever like become a double platinum album <laughs> And I like what he, he just like randomly like ats people like big celebrities like hey do you like that heart in the blender song <laughs> he, just, he just calls them the heart in the blender that's song. the funniest thing yes it is so yes. good and the guy from Third Eye Blind I also like that him and the and the lead singer of Jimmy Eat World now are both talking shit on the guy from Third Eye Blind it's just it's honestly this is like what we needed as a nation as a as a community as a human hmm. people I kind of figured the guy from the the guy from Third Eye Blind was an asshole oh, yeah. that you know. Oh, yeah. you, you can't do that much meth without, like, you know, without burning some bridges. Also, like, you have a band named after a dick joke. I can't. I can't. Oh, shit. Is that what that yeah, is? Yeah, I don't know the setup, but I, like, that's, like, I just know the the, the, the trivia that it's a uh, a penis thing, which, you know, third eye blunt makes sense, uh, but it's some kind of... Yeah, sure. Uh, ...something to do with, with penises. Okay. It's very much so something I think Jerry Lawler okay. would have come up with. You have uh, oh, we Jer- have- Jerry had a lot this this uh, this pay per view. We have uh, we have time for a quick Aaron story from 1999. Always with the producers. So no, yep, we got time. November yep. <laughs> <laughs> November 1999 um, was so I'm a senior in high school and we have it's a private Catholic school. We have senior retreat where we go to this like monastery on the Jersey Shore um, and. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. That's just really funny. Like all of them are like they they just do you know gym gym ten and psalms. <laughs> Spring break. <laughs> um, it actually it it snowed while we were there, and a bunch of us thought we were were badasses and like jumped in into the ocean like as it was flurrying out. Um, like a baptism. Uh, but... Oh, sorry. <laughs> but so it was. Um, like the last night that we were there and a bunch of us cool guys were hanging out and we're like, you guys, what if we all turned our bed sheets into togas and started a toga party at dinner? So there was like 15 uh. of us that did this, like ran from outside across the quad so that nobody could see us. And we get into where the dinner is chanting toga and it was four seconds of triumph followed by 10 minutes of well i guess we're wearing this now well the other thing is like you were there as just it was just you and a bunch of other boys right no there were girls as well oh okay well that's better i thought it was just you and a bunch like you and all your there were no girls and all the guys i thought you were asking if i went to an all boys school no there were no girls involved in the the toga portion of the evening but they were there. I think Eric's question, like, do they let, do they let women in monasteries? Are girls allowed? Yes. <laughs> I don't let women in monasteries. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean. 
Nothing wow. says party like uh, dinner. You know, like 4 p.m., a bunch of 15-year-olds, <laughs> like a bunch of smelly, four, <laughs> fucking smelly uh, uh, teenagers. Like 17, 18-year-olds, yeah. yeah. Reeking of Axe body spray, wearing probably, like, fucking old-as-hell, cheap-ass sheets from, like, the 70s. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, sounds like go. a party. And that was probably the same weekend as uh, Survivor Series. Oh, that's right. We, we do a wrestling podcast. Wow, here. a half hour, a full 30 minutes in. <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I, you know, I'm getting the feeling from the amount of time we spent talking about everything else that you guys had the same vibe I had watching this, which was, oh, my God, if I survive this series, <laughs> then it will be a fucking miracle every time they're like we have 10 matches i was like why (laughs) (laughs) have you thought of having less matches (laughs) because the pay-per-view starts off with that voiceover this is the most infamous pay-per-view in the history of the wwf which is right but i think they forget that infamous is a bad thing because survivor series is the worst of the big four and last year, or the, the last year in what we're looking at, in 1998, we had one of the, the rare exceptions with the Deadly Game Tournament. Um, and then, obviously, they're still milking the, the Montreal Screwjob, but usually, I think Survivor Series is um, a, a, a going to be a disappointment. Yeah, agreed. Sure is. In fact... Uh... Even this, like, logo was a disappointment or whatever it was at the very beginning where it was just – it looked like it was, like, the title card for, like, a software tech firm. It was just, like, all red with a little circle in the middle, and they were just, like, Survivor Series. And it, and there was a big one. I don't understand the one. Yeah, it was very um, geometric, and, and Trash Polka is, is kind of feels like the aesthetic that they were going to to steal something from Ink Master. But I started giggling to myself later on when I realized that um, the the geometric design behind it looks like uh, a nut from like a hardware store. store. So I'm like, <laughs> one nut. <laughs> <laughs> this week, this week's challenge, we're gonna be making a logo for the <laughs> for the WWF pay per view Survivor Series. Artists, you have uh, eight Legos. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, should we get into the first match? Sure. Sure. Okay. Might as well. We have nine more to go. We have, uh, Team Godfather versus Team Dudley Boys, I guess. What? But, but so, Godfather comes out, uh... um, the hoes come out right away. They're, they're, they're not, uh, what, what'd you call it last time, Bobby? I don't know. Well, we're, I got your hoes. I got your hoes. <laughs> yeah. They they didn't have they weren't they didn't do that this time. They're not they're not they know that there's going to be a lot of disappointments and like one piece of disappointment that is built in to like the their running order for this show. We'll get to that later on. Um, the, so we got the Godfather coming out first, followed by D'Lo Brown. Which again, I there's nothing I love more than the weird little version of the wrestler. So he's dressed as hmm. his best godfather, which was great. And then the headbangers come out, and that's less great. Nope. Yeah, terrible. Uh, D'Lo, I, I put down that D'Lo switched vests. So he he went from his uh, attack vest to his pimp vest. 
Um, yeah, uh, a little, a little um, behind the scenes on my note taking. What I usually do is I use I use like loose leaf paper and you know or, you know I have like a spiral notebook and I what I like to do is I write the um, the matchups in the like in the left margin and then I write my notes in the main space and the <laughs> problem with all of Survivor series is it was like Godfather and D I, I wrote Pimp Delo. Godfather and Pimp Delo and Headbangers versus Dudleys and Eclats. And I swear to God, the amount of space it took up vertically did not correlate to the amount of space <laughs> I put in for notes. Because, like, there's uh, there's entire blank white spaces of my page because I'm like, I spent more time writing who was against whom because there's, like, eight people in every fucking match. Yeah, I, I will say this might be one of my thinnest collection of notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the reason why we are, we're, we're sour on, um, on the headbangers is they come out in Afro wigs doing the one thing that white people did whenever they, they were trying to uh, adopt an urban attire. Well, except... Later on, that would, that would be uh, squashed by someone else. But they're raising the roof, everybody. Raising the roof. <sighs> God damn. Yeah, no, it wasn't good. Uh, their shit sucked. And, like, God, if there's one thing that drags out a fucking uh, a match, it's having four entrances. Mm-hmm. Uh, or luck- five entrances. Luckily, two of them were tag teams. Or three of them were tag yeah. teams. Yeah. Oh my god, the first one dra- dragged out so much. Like at least the second one was like this team boom, acolytes boom. Let's get them going. Um yeah, so the Dudleys come in. It's the Dudleys and the acolytes on the other side. And I remember um Bubba Ray Dudley's stutter gimmick going away pretty quickly, but god, it does not go away fast enough. Nah. Yeah, you might you might say it sticks around the same way the stutter does. <laughs> Just keeps keeps going. I thought you were going to say the thing that makes these things go on for so long is when one of your uh, combatants is adopting a stutter. <laughs> uh, yes, that too. Yeah, no, I really hated the stutter joke. I it's the fucking worst. Um, I will. Maybe buck the trend here, though, and say that I enjoyed what this was. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought that these all okay. They did a good job. Like it just there's just no there was no story. There was no heat. There's no reason, and the crowd wasn't into it. So the thing just kind of felt mm-hmm. like yeah. a match. It was just, just a match. Right, but I, I really liked. So um, partway through, Bradshaw turns it turns and gets a chair and attacks. Not only I, I believe it was a headbanger. But also um, Devon Dudley, Dudley. At, or, at the same time, yeah. um, and so I I really love the um, the evolution of the acolytes. I think it's pretty dumb that they still are face or putting face painted weird symbols on their chest. I think that's gonna go away pretty fucking soon. But um, love that that they like just kind of fought their way out of there and were didn't care who they were fighting. Yep, agreed. Uh, I don't really have much to add to this one. Yeah, I will say, um, I don't know. The Godfather makes pimping look easy. I know he keeps saying it ain't, but honestly, how much do you have to do? There, there's got to be a lot of like overhead that we're not, you know, pervy, privy to, pervy to. 
I also thought that the Godfather has the physicality of uh, Curly Howard from the Three Stooges at the end of this match. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like the train? Okay. The only thing that I want to add as, as far as the match itself is that I felt like the Godfather was underutilized in here. I mean, saving him until the last minute, but not even the pin. I, I feel like he had like 40 seconds worth of in-ring time. Too many people. There's just too many people. And, like, too much headbangers. Ugh. <laughs> and then, uh, so it ends with uh, Survivor's Godfather and D'Lo Brown. Um, the hose dance. Tim White, lovable perv, dances along with the hose. Sure. Yeah, he got he got a little handsy with one of them, honestly. His hand was going a little onto her onto her butt. So following this, we have the premiere of a Hall of Famer um, on the... Sean Stasiak. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can, can, can I give a little uh, Kurt Angle background stuff? Of course. Another time. So Kurt mm-hmm. Angle um, trained, actually, in that movie Foxcatcher. Mm-hmm. The guy that yeah. killed, uh, Kurt Angle trained at the Foxcatcher farm or whatever. Like, he was one of the people training there uh, for the Olympics. Uh, in like you know, Greco-Roman wrestling or whatever. Uh, and then he went to the Olympics. You know, he won the gold medal. He left after the whole murder thing, you know. Uh, but then he went to the Olympics, <laughs> won the gold medal. Uh, obviously there was interest in him in wrestling. He kind of thought wrestling was like beneath him. And originally in early talks in like '96, uh, he also like didn't want to lose a match. And they were like, no, you. That's not how this works. Uh, he was sort of like, <laughs> sorry, you know, I don't want to lose. So. He ended up, like, things didn't really go anywhere. Uh, but he, he paid more attention. He really kind of, like, fell in love with watching the sport uh, entertainment and, uh, oh. you know, admired what Steve Austin was doing at the time and kind of, like, started to understand what wrestling was. He made an appearance doing commentary on an ECW show. Um, and during that match, uh, during that event, at one point, Raven uh, crucified, I want to say, Sandman. It might have been Tommy Dreamer. But another crucified them it was like part of the like how touch with crucifixion and used a uh, like a barbed wire crown of thorns like real re- real leaning into it and uh, Kurt Angle was furious and like stormed off and like wasn't aware that they were gonna do that and was all mad. Uh, then ended up training with WWE. Then ended up signing with WWF. Came back and reapproached them. I want to say was what the story was. Unclear who approached whom and get like reengaged the conversation in like '98. Um, but that's when he signed this deal. He got a pretty. I want to say it was like a long term deal, like a five year deal, which is like not common for like a rookie. Uh, mm-hmm. Trained a lot with Tom Pritchard, and he is known still to this day, up until Ronda Rousey, as being one of the people to grasp the industry the fastest and grasp the art and mm-hmm. everything the fastest. And they said historically people. Um, who come from like uh, amateur wrestling uh, really struggle with like you know the whole point is to stay off of their backs and in, you know in in sports entertainment there there you know you're, you have to fall on your back so like training your mm-hmm. brain that way is something they struggle with but anyway he just like got the whole thing so quickly and like famously is like the gold standard of like someone who picked up the industry and I don't think anyone's even come close allegedly until Ronda Rousey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about and well, let's go into um, on the uh, November first episode of Raw. We had a, one of our first like current angle vignettes, and 
like you said, Bobby, he's been for the past year, I, I want to say down in Memphis and then do, just kind of like doing a lot of dark matches. But this is now a guy who's going to make his television premiere um, or at least national television premiere, because I think he did some stuff with like um, regional stuff that aired in Tennessee during Survivor Series, during one of these huge pay-per-view events. But I think that they were really smart in the way that they rolled out these vignettes beforehand. Um, the first one is just kind of him listing all of his accomplishments. And each one ends with him saying um, the uh, most celebrated real athlete in WWF history. So smart. Yeah. Yeah, I picked up on that very quickly. I was like, oh, oh, shit. First of all, um, they but like. Not just it wasn't just him, but other people like I think like Jr. and Lawler were like he's the only he's the only gold medalist, and I was like, wait, didn't Mark Henry win a gold medal? Not for wrestling. He did though, not. For, oh no, he no. didn't. And it was for and he was doing powerlifting. But what did he, he did medal though? Was it a bronze? I don't know. Uh, maybe a silver medal or bronze medal. Because I think they talked about they made one of the things they did to kind of make fun of him was, I think, say something about how he didn't get gold. And I don't. Uh, let's see. He's a two-time Olympian. Um, I don't think he medaled in the Olympic in the Olympics. Uh, he was a gold, silver, and bronze medalist at the Pan American Games in 1995. But I don't think that he actually medaled in the Olympics. Are these like their real names? Is Kurt Angle his real yeah. name? That's a weird name. Where do you get a name like Angle? Where do you get a name like Silver? I don't know. Fucking Ellis Island? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of question is that? <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't know. Um, but with that, the most celebrated real athlete in, in history, and then going on in those other vignettes, he introduces his three eyes, which I don't know if he wrote that or if, that, if someone wrote it for him, but is going to play out so well. And these little teases of him saying... Uh, there's a little something extra to win Olympic gold. Like I'm a little bit better than these other mm. guys because I think it's such a, um, it would be such a knee jerk reaction to make him into a baby face considering his pedigree and these shades of, of heelishness to him early on is very, very smart. Uh, actually it's, uh, it's extra heel because uh, Kurt Angle's three eyes is a nod to a, a famous dick joke. He, <laughs> he was three eye, three eye blinds. Well done. Um, Thank you. I think the rebranding of Sean Stasiak is pretty smart too. Putting him in this, the, uh, the legacy angle. Mm-hmm. I don't think having SS all over his body is that smart an idea. Oof. Um, I was curious about like the reason you know Sean Stasiak doesn't seem like you know obviously Kurt Angle coming in with a lot of momentum obviously they have big things in store for him and you're like definitely let's get him out there put him in the ring with Sean Stasiak like, like <laughs> seems like it seems strange but apparently the thinking behind it was they had been working together a lot on the road and just that they wanted most importantly was for Kurt to be comfortable and to you know eliminate as much risk. Um, as much as possible and so the two of them had a good had been working together a lot and that that was why sean stasiak sort of got this spot mm-hmm. um yeah and look uh it's very interesting how that how this whole thing like went over because 
uh, I thought, you know, Kurt Angle did a, a, rel- a pretty, I think the two of them did, yeah. you know, did a relatively good job of showing what could be done and like what kind of wrestling they were going to be doing. The crowd, on the other hand, was basically chanting boring and uh, let's go Red Wings. So yeah, I think they were just uh, not not into a, this. A proto CM Punk kind of moment here. Yeah, it's tough. And I mean, yeah. Which I I guess I, I'll find out when I get to CM Punk, I guess. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people necessarily caught, or I don't think everyone was clear that they were intentionally pushing him as a heel. Like, I think some people didn't weren't in on the joke, or didn't, it, I don't think they pushed it far enough to really get it. I think we've seen more uh, exaggerated takes on this sort of blustery, almost like Blue Blazer-esque without the costume, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, idea of like almost like a super baby face uh but i don't so I, I think with this there were a lot of people who were like oh boy look at wwf failing to get angle over and they're like no no no, they're actually they were intentionally not trying they were he was being pushed as the heel from the beginning that was like intentional right. i believe that and i think you know any the examples you picked out any kind of like close reading of this i think makes that pretty evident but uh i also could see how at the time it wasn't so in your face and you know, anti-heroes were still happening, obviously, here, but this is still, like, you know, to present a, a, a true heel in this way probably still felt a little jarring for a lot of, like, long-time fans. Do you think that the the, the mic spot was planned? Where, well, where he gets, gets on the microphone in the middle of the match and tells them that they don't boo an Olympic athlete? I do think that's got to have been planned. Okay. I wasn't sure, because... Cause... I've heard that too, and and I believe that 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 uh, Kurt Angle, along with Rousey, just like picked up the business like nobody else, and so I wasn't sure if that was just like I don't think evident of up, him. I don't think he picked up that part of the business that quickly. Yeah, you know what I mean? the promos. I, I I have a feeling. And again, now I'm sort of like um, I'm projecting and sort of uh, internalizing uh, like vibes. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. As uh, now I'm speaking less of a historian, more as an empath. Um, but I feel like. <laughs> Uh, the impression I get is that like he was good and he had charisma. He had a ton of natural ability and got the mechanics and what makes the storytelling of a match really work. Um, and he he had the charisma, but I don't think he I don't think he was like a wordsmith, like writing his own material, like a Jericho. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think he was doing that mm-hmm. at this point. Maybe even ever, but certainly yeah. not at this point. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if he was picking up on the crowd and and decided he had to say something to to bring that heat onto him. I don't know. I, um, it, it, it does seem like it did feel a little impromptu. And how could you have? I don't know if they were counting on him being booed to that degree. So it does seem like uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, look, it, it could have been something he had in the chamber, the way that yeah. like comedians do crowd work, right? Like, you know, they're like, "Hey, uh, this is a this will be a good thing if you get to this level." I want to. I want to talk to somebody who was there that night and and be like, see if they're like, yeah, man, I got to see the uh, the, the premiere of Kurt Angle. And it's like, yeah, but did you appreciate it at the time? No, I booed that Olympic well, motherfucker all the way back to Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Isn't that isn't that part of it? I mean, I guess they were they were booing. They weren't booing him as a heel. They were booing him. I, I, I think they didn't Daddy. like it. Right. Yeah. yeah, bad heat. This was bad heat. But I will say uh, an important thing that I noted often in this match is that both Kurt Angle and Sean Stasiak are very hot. <laughs> and I remember at the time <laughs> being like, oh, those are two extremely – like at this point I was like, oh, 
oh, those are very sexy men. Like, I was very, like, and all my notes even for this just say, like, the word hot maybe six times. It's, um, it, it's very hard for me. I mean, I'm sure it's very hard for Bobby, but it's very, <laughs> it's very hard for me to look at Kurt Angle uh, with the music and see him as, like, uh, you know, as baby, you know, true baby Kurt Angle uh, and, you know, and not immediately just start thinking about, like, the giant thumb he became, you know, when he retired. Uh, no offense to Kurt Angle, but, like, Jesus Christ, he just, like, I don't know, he lost his neck, his head just, I don't know, became another uh, another limb in some way. To be clear, I would have sex with present-day um, Kurt Angle, for sure. For sure. Um, but I none of us but doubted I, that, yeah. Bobby. But I see what you're saying. I don't, but, I, yeah, but at right? the same time, I also don't disagree with you. <laughs> like, Kurt Angle, day, like, modern-day Kurt Angle is is definitely... Uh, a He-Man action figure, or, or or a Stretch Armstrong that might have been left in the sun a little too long. <laughs> After this, by the way, that music that that music was from the Patriot, right? Yeah, yeah. Also, Sergeant Slaughter had used it in the past as well. Mm. It's their it's their um it's their uh, patriotic. It's like their John Philip Sousa of uh, of wrestling intros. Hey, hey Jimmy, clue up a patriotic American theme number four. <laughs> there was a sign in the crowd that it reminded me of that John Mulaney bit about writing a happy birthday sign, because uh, like all the te- like it was all the text like in all different directions, but like not on purpose, like squeezing things in. And it ended up reading Kurt Angle, boring real athlete, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, don't you mean real boring athlete? Like, isn't that the sick burn? But it was bo- Kurt Angle, boring real athlete. And I was like, those are all well, words, I guess you meant to say. But I mean... <laughs> it's magnet poetry. I, I, I have that, that one in my notes too, but that must have been... He must have brought a Sharpie with him to <laughs> the arena. No, I'm serious, because how would he know, based off of like those promos, that Kurt Angle was going to be... like? It was going to be what he considered to be a boring match. Oh, I think he was just like ready for him to just be, bo- you know, he was just like, fuck this guy. He's boring. Or was Vince McMahon sitting outside the arena handing out signs like in that <laughs> You think that's a real sign, you fucking idiot. Um, what if, or what if he just wrote like Kurt Angle, uh, blank real athlete and was like, let's just, the, the jury's out. Let's fill this in. Later, I will. You know what? I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna fill out your scorecard. I'm gonna leave the score empty until I see. You know, see some evidence. After this match, we went to Sunday Night Heat, where Triple H set up an attack against Rock and Austin. Um, DX came in. Rock and Austin cleared the ring. Then we go to our next traditional Survivor Series match, where we've got. A very interesting assortment of people. I like wincing when you're reading your own notes. <laughs> Our next match. Oh god. But, talk about talk about eight intros. Holy fucking shit. But to be clear, the first four guys are all heterosexuals. If there is any doubt in your mind. And that's where the similarities have- end, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh this is the sexy crowdy vampire team <laughs> who 
Who are four people who have never been in my kitchen? <laughs> but so so right now, Val Venus and Mark Henry are both working heel. Gangrel and Steve Blackman are both irrelevant, but have been not working. at their most most recent. <laughs> At their most recent, have been playing the heel role against the British Bulldog and the Mean Street Posse. Yeah, it doesn't. The, doesn't British Bulldog and the Mean Street Posse sound like they're gonna have like they're gonna release an album that's called like Greetings from Greenwich? <laughs> straight, straight out of Connecticut. Right. Honestly, there uh, are eight wrestlers in this match, and the only thing I was rooting for was a sinkhole. Like I just wanted the ground to open up and swallow the ring. <laughs> none of the i was like all of you go be gone all everyone back to developmental i don't care well this was bad i mean and it's a shame because well i mean oh yeah go well but uh, at, at the very start of the match where where i think pete gas is the first guy in and laura says well he's getting better every time he's out there <laughs> which is crazy when he's, he's only out there for pay-per-views like uh, i would also get better every time put me in vince <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Bobby, I'm I'm really surprised you'd have the uh, the ring the, the the ring or the the ground open up and swallow them during this match when there is another match that oh follows God, this. Yeah. That right, like I'd want them to to back to back these matches so that we can just get rid of all of them in one fell swoop. Oh, another one even later. I mean, there's like half this half of this. Oh, I I know. Go straight in the sinkhole. <laughs> That's why they only do wrestling in Florida now, because this is the more higher chance of singles. <laughs> uh, I have, I have the only notes I have are all of the people in this match. I have okay. eight li- eight blank lines. All right, I got a little more here. Um, I was seeing Mark Henry dive through the ropes was impressive for him, and something that I've never seen from him before. So I was impressed with that. Um, I did. I was impressed with Bulldog going to the wrong corner for a tag at one point. He didn't know what team he was on. He was like, "Who's the good guys and the bad guys here? Does it matter? Like, no one cares." Uh, this one ends with. Um, I, I hope you don't mind me skipping to the end here, please, but um, this one ends with Jimmy Corderas talking to Val outside of the ring for an inordinate amount of time. I don't know what they were discussing. And then there's clearly, like, the sounds of wrestling going on behind him, but he could not be bothered to turn around and maybe give a glance. He was that invested in whatever he was talking to Val Venus about. So, Val, fluffers, is that really a thing? Do you use them? Or... <laughs> I don't Wait a minute, isn't shot, there wrestling but... sounds? <laughs> Uh, um, you mind if I move on? I was like, wait, did, who won yeah, this match? No, not at all, please. Did win this match? <laughs> I, I, there's so many matches that literally I watched this pay-per-view kind of twice, I think. But I was like, I would, then I would like do research. Like they would, I'd read about a match. I'd be like, wait a minute, did I watch that? And that's what this match was like. I was like, did someone win? So this... <laughs> So uh, I think it was the, Val Venus and, and crew. Henry, yeah, the right? the mean the mean street posse um was taken out. It was dispatched pretty quickly. Um, so Bulldog then puts on offense, takes out Gangrel, takes out Blackman, um, and then off of the distraction that allows Mark Henry to uh, jump on him, on the British Bulldog, and Val Venus gets the pin. 
I literally just guessed that. I don't remember any of it. This was around the time where I was like, it's cold in my apartment. And I started getting under the covers. And then I went sleepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But before we get to uh, Eric's nap time, we have to go to the uh, the sexual humiliation of Michael Cole backstage. <laughs> <laughs> like the least intimidating person in the world. And you've got all these women in here basically just like, haha, you'll never get this. I also don't understand, like, uh, you know, Terry knows how to perform sexy. Ivory does not seem to know still how to perform sexy. Like, her thing was, like, you know, Jacqueline was like, look at my boobies. And Terry was like, look at my boobies. And then Jacqueline, and Ivory was like, do you want to grab some of this goop and then rub my tummy? And I was like, wait a minute, is that, is that, the, is that the move? Is that, is, is that what we want? Right, like, it was like, she's like, yeah, like uh, I like to put cold cream on <laughs> yeah. before I go to sleep. I'm going to rub my tummy, and I was like, what? I, that's the spot? That's what we're going for? Do you want to put this Vicks Vapo up? <laughs> also, you know, lay down and do your poses. You know, the same thing. Ivy doesn't know how to perform sexy. She doesn't get it. Uh, there is a whole lot of not getting it in this match, though. Oh, Shit. boy. Oh, boy. It was messy. Holy shit. Um, I mean, again, it was all, it was mostly entrances. Mostly entrances. Uh, things that I need to talk about from the entrance. Imagine you being billed as Kane's girlfriend. <laughs> um, Deborah's back. Okay. I liked Deborah's. Whole, Deborah got first of all got the biggest pop of anyone in this match for sure. Um, like her sure. entrance got the biggest pop. I was, which I was surprised by. I thought actually that Terry would get a bigger pop, or I thought maybe like May and Mula would get the bigger pop. I had no, no one else did I expect any audience reaction for whatsoever, but I didn't expect <laughs> Deborah to get the biggest pop. Uh, well, I mean, isn't the puppies? I know, but, every, but guess what? Literally everyone in that match had tits. Literally all of them. <laughs> like, uh, I, yeah, but she's the original puppies. I did like the paw prints on her gear. I thought that was cool. Though why she needed gear, I don't know. <laughs> But she didn't also, wrestle. but also, Deborah has been away for a few weeks, okay. and so I think I think that it's it's a, a return thing because we haven't seen her since her and uh, Jeff Jarrett parted ways. So that right? was basically the last time we would have checked in with anything Deborah related, Eric and I, from the last pay per view. Uh-huh. So I, I didn't realize, I guess, that she yeah. was just that she was completely off television. I thought maybe she was just like appearing in things. The same way we have no idea how like uh, Miss Kitty got in the fly machine with China at some point. Like we don't know how that <laughs> happened either. <laughs> Uh, neither do I. <laughs> neither do I, to be honest. We'll get to that soon. Um, tiny version of a bigger person. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Weird tiny version. Um, uh, we got a close-up of Mae Young's tattoo, which looks like it might be like she got branded by a pirate. I tried so hard, you guys. I know that we talked about it. We thought about it. I was so interested. We had that crystal clear close-up shot. I paused my HD fucking 4K television to look at it. And it still looked like a pile of nothing. And so at this point, I actually think it's her skin. That's just to blame. I can't, like, I think even, I think even if I held Mae Young's, like, uh, living arm in my, in my, and like looked at it so closely with my eyes, I still wouldn't be able to decipher what that tattoo is. And I have tried Googling extensively. And the problem is 
some genius did an art did some fucking listicle about everyone's tattoos in the Mae Young Classic tournament for some reason, like that's content anyone needs. And so anytime you search Mae Young Tattoo, let me tell you you're gonna get fucking a hundred pages of Mercedes Martinez and Rhea Ripley and everyone else who I again I love. But I would not you know what I mean? Like that's not everyone was uh, chiming the bit like the people need to know. <laughs> Curious minds are wondering. Let me everyone's tattoos in the Mae Young Classic. But people do want to know what actual Mae Young's tattoos are. So if anyone knows, please fucking tell us. It's driving me crazy. So this week on Ink Master, we're doing cover-ups. That, that's what it looks like. It's it's crazy. I I looked so. Yo, hard. every every everybody would take their shot giving Mae Young because you know her skin's gonna be too thin. Uh, it's gonna they're gonna get blowouts when when they're you know when they're trying to uh, draw you know do a do their and line. We all know that sausage is gonna talk her into work. moving it to the thigh. <laughs> <laughs> I've been uh, I've been really considering just starting from the beginning and rewatching all of Ink Master, except it's only the first two seasons that are on Netflix, and I feel like by the time I get to the end of season two, I'm just gonna want more. Well, I will say that if you haven't yet watched the Netflix glass blowing show that was on last year around this time, the second season is coming the end of next month, um, and it has a very similar energy without a lot of the grossness. So obviously, you know, like okay. the, the racism and sexism. Uh, but it's glass blowing, but it's also like super fucking intense. So like in a warehouse and everything is like literally molten hot. And it's kind of, it's like really, uh, I loved it. It's, it's, it has a very big, big ink master energy. Do you remember what it was it, called? It also has human, also has human canvases. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bobby, do you remember what it was called? Uh, it's called blown away. I want to say. No, nah. it's, it also a great movie with Tommy Lee Jones about, uh, about the IRA. Wait, was that Arlington Road? No, that was uh, blown away. Was was uh, the IRA one? Tommy Lee Jones plays an yeah. Irish man who's obsessed with U two. Did yeah? Oh God, yes. There's a lot of U two in that. But didn't Arlington Road also have an the IRA? Uh, no, that was Tim Robbins, and that was just like he was like uh, living next was, to a terrorist. It was yeah. It was like a, a post nine eleven. Uh, who you don't know who you're living next to. Um, back to this, and I'm using the word loosely, match here. So were the rules that somebody gets pinned, then everyone fights, and then it's over? (laughs) I I mean... It just ended. It was very... It was so... The strangest thing. Well, no, they did say it was, um, single eliminate... It was, uh, what was it? It was, uh, sudden... sudden, They called it sudden death, which could have... Which, yeah, oh my god, I was about to do a Jerry Uh... Lawler joke. I was like, could have been about Mae Young and... (laughs) No, but, uh... You you can tell that the that the women the, the women's match are you know that they're like okay for uh, for the eight men that we had in the first match people are going to be fine but when if we have to do like elimination by elimination in the women's match we have a riot on our hands oh. so they were like okay first person who's out we're all you guys are all done terrible this was I mean what a waste what a waste it was embarrassing I'm embarrassed. Um, and then what a waste. So X-Pac and Kane, this story has been oh, wait, building wait, wait. I did want to say one more thing months. about that match before we uh, move on. Oh, sure. That at sure. the end, the big, the big, the big ending, like the big, you know, finish is really that Deborah rips Terry's shirt off. 
which I understand why people want to see that. But what I don't understand is it was essentially a bra that had the exact same amount of coverage as the shirt she was previously wearing. So yes. they just ripped her shirt off with just like, <laughs> I don't know, like a little more of her shoulder was exposed. It was the strangest yeah. fucking thing. I, I'm like, what? To put so much work and thought in that, like, okay, then Deborah's going to come in. Is the shirt pre-ripped? Got it. Then like, it was like a whole, like they had to have such a production. Give me something. Jesus. Yeah. It it looked like she it looked like she was wearing it looked like the bra was kind of like the shirt and like the shirt that was ripped off was actually like a stole yeah, like, like or a something or you know like, like those bolero jacket yeah and so when they were like oh it's a bra and panties match now after she ripped it off I was like but I I feel like I saw all of this already like nothing is is being revealed I to me I think there was more of Terry's boobs showing in like under boob showing on like any given day on tv you know what i mean like usually yes. she's usually like from the nips down bare you know what i mean like a crop top yeah that just barely grazes the bottom of her areola and then it's it so it's weird and i mean that this was to like be honest uh yeah and they can't show much more because she still has uh two hundred dollar bills gorilla glued <laughs> to her nipples <laughs> she'll never be able to nurse again so now we go back also to... also if you fold those dollars <laughs> sorry <laughs> Fuck you, man. I still got one. I was going to say, if you fold those bills, you can actually see it looks like the an airplane going into the Twin Towers. <laughs> that was it worth was, it. It was. <laughs> and Terry Reynolds, Terry Reynolds seems like the type who would call her tits the, the twin, twin Towers. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. So, Xbox and Kane, there was a long buildup. And there's a match. Um, we go to backstage where X-Pac looks like a complete douche in a bucket hat. And he also says that he's 6'1", which feels insane to me. That does feel insane. Yes, I, I thought that too. I was like, oh, so he is tall. But I guess everyone's just taller. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then we get a clip from Tori and Kane from Heat where we learn that X-Pac is the one with the little hose. And I feel like it, they went to X-Pac, and I'm pretty sure I saw him mouth, what did that bitch say? Ha. Seems right. Yeah, everything was like, everything was just, uh, your dick doesn't work, your dick is small, cool. This is a great, I'm glad this is what your friendship has degenerated into, X. You both are third eye blind. <laughs> <laughs> And then the match, uh, well, Xbox attacks during Kane's pyro um, with the camera not even on it. So they had to go to an instant replay to show that, yes, he did, in fact, attack during uh, Kane's entrance. And then we get a very, very short match. Um, Road Dog pulls Kane off after he gets early offense and is about to win. Um, X-Pac hits the X-Factor, and Kane just shrugs him off, and then Triple H just comes in and hits Kane with the title. Dumb, bad, dumb. Oh, and then and then uh, Tori comes in, and uh, X-Pac uh, uh, spinning heel kicks Tori, and then the EMTs come in to rub Tori back to health. <laughs> They're essentially a bunch of Pokemon nurses, it feels like. <laughs> they just like put them on a little machine They're like you better now go um 
This was bad. I also, like, I find it strange. I didn't remember Tori being so jacked. I don't know if, like, I, the, the memories I have of Tori are coming from, like, the, the period that's about to come at us. And I don't know if she, like, stops working out or what. I just don't have a memory of her being, she just seems, like, so, she looks like Beth Phoenix to me in all of these. But maybe it's just because like she looked, you know, she looked less jacked in the in the bodysuit. Honestly, like it feels like there's been a change okay. over so the past yeah, like I, couple yeah. months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I thought the same thing. I don't know. I feel like I got Men in Black neuralizered, and I don't have any memories of Tori outside of like the Sable stuff. Like it's starting to come back to me now as far as what her role is going to be in the coming months. But yeah. I just don't have. There, there's too many other things in my brain, and Tori just fell out at one point. Uh, her best work is yet to come. Her best work is yet to come, for sure. And she, I, I, if I recall, from my memories, her best work is yet to come, and she will be, I believe, involved with one of my favorite performers uh, in the in the future. Okay. At least that's to look forward to. Honestly, her best work is yet to come is like an evergreen statement for me right now about Tori. <laughs> We go backstage where The Rock gets into it with Triple H. And then another what was supposed to be a traditional Survivor Series match. Except Big Show decided, fuck all y'all guys. And beat up Kai and Tai and the Blue Meanie. Which, that's a group right there. Kai and Tai, the Blue Meanie, and the Big Show. I'm so, I was so excited to see Kai and Tai, if only briefly. I was just like, oh, they're back. But, you know, that was it. <laughs> Nothing else. Um, and two of the guys that you remember from Kaiyatai aren't around anymore. When they do finally get back, and you do finally get to see them, but he's going up against Prince Albert, who, um, in a very nice tribute, has draws on his wrist as he comes down. And then Midian comes out. Oh. He's decided. Oh. He's decided. You mean that Midian? He's gone to the county fair. And he wants to get some face paint. He's got. He's, he's got nipples that are hanging out even though he's got straps on and what can only be described as genie pants. And he still has the Undertaker symbol like on his gear. I'm like, girl, it's over. <laughs> Move on. You know what I mean? I mean, like, he's just not that into you. Is... <laughs> Is is this the last it, the last evolution of Midian? No, no Eric. Eric, oh, you man. will know. You <laughs> will Diaper know. baby Midian. <laughs> you will know. The makeup. The makeup. The makeup. Okay, like he, I know he put it on himself. That's that part is clear. Okay. Alright, I'm gonna tell a quick story. Um the fairly in the in the more recent history, when we were living in Houston. Um, at one point, we thought it'd be really funny for all of us to put on Juggalo makeup and, go, and show up my friend's apartment unannounced. Uh, so we did that. Uh-huh. It turns out it's a lot harder to do than you think, like, without a plan. Like, you think you could just start doing it and sort of, like, you know, end up just like, looking like a perfect Perot kind of clown. Uh, but... Bobby, uh, Bobby, we call that a toga party plan around here. <laughs> it is. This is my... That was... This was, <laughs> this was my toga party. It was very fun, though, because it literally just amounted to us sitting around drinking with a bunch of Juggalo makeup on for no reason. Um, but that's what this reminded me of. However... He actually feels like he didn't even understand the concept of applying any kind of makeup, let alone forget the shape. But there was just like globs. He just like he took two fistfuls of makeup, slapped himself in the face, and then ran out. That was it. And that's it. Like didn't like just globs just gooped onto his face in no discernible pattern. Anything. I don't I'm not sure if it was paint. I don't even I, it unbelievable. I was like, how did anyone let you 
out of gorilla position like that? How did not like a mom like you know like lick a paper towel and like try to wipe <laughs> it off? <laughs> you got some schmutz on your face. Why wasn't where was Mula and May? <laughs> right, it was Undertaker going. You have some smuts in your on your face because he can't say uh, Yiddish words. Anyway, <laughs> um, I think I thought Midian's makeup looked a little bit like the Viking experience. My God, uh, does that sound right? If the Viking experience then like fell face first into like a still <laughs> hot driveway. <laughs> also, also, I want to say um, I called I called Prince Albert Mr. Money in the Bank when he came out with that suitcase. Uh, Mr. Harry on my back. No, okay, they can't nice. all be winners. Nailed him. Nailed him. Uh, so they're up against the big show who wins very, very quickly. Slams Albert, like if, slams Midian, if, slams if, if a whole, Well, hold on. If a, I was going to say, because we didn't really talk about the other people, right? We didn't talk about Viscera and Big Boss Man. But when Bobby said that he wanted a hole to open up, like, this is the time for the hole. Like, hole, an, hole, entire, hole, an entire... Like, if Big Show is just like hanging on the edge and he pulls himself up and we never see any of the rest of them again, I'd be fully happy. Uh, don't don't be so quick to hate on Albert. Albert That's all I'll say. Albert is still with us. I mean, Matt Bloom, you mm-hmm. know him now as Matt Bloom. He's one of the head lead trainers down at NXT. He is who we have to thank for so much of the excellent, some of the best wrestling we have ever seen that we've had the pleasure of enjoying. Uh, so he does get props, but at this point, though, I even remember as a child watching Albert and being like, what? is your whole thing dude <laughs> i will say in this match though as much as it was you know it, it it wasn't a match but it was it had a job to do and it did its job i did yep. really like the spot where he fucking body slams viscera that was hell yeah dope. yes you can't not like that that was great i mean the fucking when they, they yep. said the ring shook i mean the fucking building shook it was awesome it was awesome i liked that a lot he viscera's legs like flew up in the air uh like he was i don't know he looked like a like a a fish that had just been pulled out and like fell on the on the boat deck and was just flopping around i love viscera's in his giant jacket because he looks like a bell (laughs) like he just because it's like a weird it's like a weird mid-calf length and you're like oh honey honey like what not to wear like it's longer or shorter like you got to give yourself some shape here break up the body lead the eye like it's just very weird where it hits him, and it just reminds me that he just looks like a giant human bell. I feel like he should wear vertical stripes. That could, like, that could really, I don't know, it, it would be uh, complimentary to his figure, look, right? I've watched a lot of makeover <laughs> shows, and I am, and this may come as a shock to some of our listeners, a homosexual. But And so I will tell you uh. one of the things you learn early uh, in homosexuality is that if you are insecure about your body, and you're trying to hide, you try, you're afraid your body is too big, and you try to hide it, you're actually going to make it worse. You end up adding more bulk, you end up hiding any kind of shape you have, and it's at, it always ends up actually making you look worse or bigger, you know, in any way. And so, you know, there's all kinds of other things you can do to feel more comfortable. Of course, the most important thing is you feel comfortable and you feel confident and sexy, uh, but I think a lot of times the reaction is to hide, and it and you look it looks worse and you feel worse so anyway don't hide your light under a bushel folks (laughs) eventually i had to give up the xl t-shirts exactly and hey uh, listen i was wearing fucking like size like 42 pants with a belt that was like cinched out and but like uh 
true uh, uh, pant legs that honestly I could have fit a full other human person inside. Well, those were those were Jenkos. Uh, you can't be blamed for that. But I gravitated toward them. I was, you know, why? Because I didn't love myself. <laughs> Let that be a lesson. Yeah. And I think honestly, anyone who wore Jenkos probably didn't love themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and also, they, you know, they 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 were uh, in the majority of the world, and no, no one loved them. Yeah, that, this was before we had Lizzo, and now we all know to love ourselves. <laughs> And then back to this match. Um, sure. I also, well, I'm, I mean, talking about accomplishing what it needed to accomplish. Um, also, boss man running away in that 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 slimy role that he has uh, allows their feud to continue, and, and it's not going to reach the heights that we saw in our last deep dive. But I mean, there, there's still a few uh, a few gems to come from that. Not good matches, but. Um, of course, of course. That's something. a blind, big boss man. There. There's, there's something, at least. We go backstage after this where Triple H and Austin get into a fight. Uh, Triple H spits beer on him. Austin chases after him. We see Road Dog there as well, and I believe X-Pac. And then somebody gets hit by a car, but it's definitely not Steve Austin. All very correct. So obviously... Um, this is huge. Uh, Austin needs to have uh, neck surgery. Needs to be written off television. Uh, they literally, like, going into this, they didn't know that he wasn't going to be able to do this until, like, the night before the day of this pay-per-view. So, like, truly, they are writing this on the fucking fly. Uh, it is, this is the, this is the solution they came up with, and that this point they do not know who they even want the if there's even going to be a payoff or anything i think that's fucking crazy uh-huh. yeah um i loved uh, or well i love watching the car run into a person and then the camera moving in a completely <laughs> different direction to see austin lying on the ground there was was the best <laughs> And then followed by an insufferably long time in this segment, zoned in on, oh, on them. Oh my god! Honestly, thank I'm very thankful for it. I got a I got my nap in. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I I was able to feel refreshed. I was able to to like get back on on the horse, pay better attention. Um, I did I did like uh, that. The announcing team was really not doing a good job of like handling this hit and run. Like at first they were just like, "Well, uh, we should get a camera out there." I'm like, "Maybe you should also call uh, an ambulance." I don't know. Like, the thing is, they were just kinda... there was a camera there, and that's the part that really destroyed this for me. <laughs> right. Because right, this isn't like a document a documentary crew. Like they're allowed to interact, and I feel like if I was at work uh, and I saw one of my coworkers get hit by a car. My reaction wouldn't be to literally lay on my belly on the floor beside them to get a real tight shot of their hand while they're laying unconscious. <laughs> I feel like this would have been better served if the if they had the production react almost like an episode of Cops, for lack of a better, uh, you know, parallel. Shaky, mm-hmm. shaky cam yeah. running up. They, maybe they put the camera down. You could see the cameraman attending, trying to attend to them or call someone. That would have, like, added such a layer, uh, additional layer here that would have sold this so much better. Like, 
or switch to like a closed circuit uh, security camera GTV fuck I mean like something yeah because this was that really that really for me took me out of it and I was like that that just felt like a super amateurish very like letting the fucking seam show um bad move I don't know it really it really took me out of it well yeah I mean I I I, I, I mean, talking about amateurish, I mean, I really hope Dotson lost his job after letting that car come fly by. Well, that car actually was a Dotson. So, uh, yeah, no, I, 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 once they said, once they said something about Dotson, I was like, Dotson, we got Dotson. Also, what was confusing, there was also a Dachshund backstage. So between the three of them, <laughs> no one knew up from down. No, that was the bulldog. Um, no, I, I agree with you, Bobby. Like I, you know, I want like I wonder if you know they would be served better in some of these storylines if they, you know, uh, if they if they, I don't know if if they, if they shot straight on it. You know what I mean? If they like if they made everything, you know, it's it's the same as with like the big shows. You know, father dying. Like I guess it, it's a choice, right? They made a choice for the father dying to be kind of a, a comic, uh, uh, you know, really exaggerated thing, right? Because obviously in all of these scenarios, like the camera crew being there and, and just kind of like documenting is weird. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, in this case, especially if, they, if they're trying to say like, you know, we're really worried about about Steve Austin. He's going in, you know, he's going to be out for a couple weeks or whatever. That's the plan. It would have been, yeah, I think it would have been a better touch for them to, you know, treat it like it, like, you know, at least play it up to the height of their exactly. intelligence. Exactly. That's all. That, that's all I'm asking. <laughs> um, when they were giving the update on him, they, they were talking about how they were uh, concerned about his neck and his back. And I was like, and his pussy and his crack. <laughs> <laughs> tip my hat to you sir i do think they're well walking, after they are walking a fine line here though because obviously owen hart is still fresh in people's minds uh and uh-huh. not to mention draws you know uh so i think playing this kind of uh real medical danger bodily harm angle i think that's why they went out of their way to talk about him he didn't lose consciousness they don't want to insinuate he's dead in any way um, so I think there's like a lot. This is also I can imagine a difficult um, line to walk, and that also might be why they probably they didn't lean into some of the more realistic elements. But and again, obviously things were happening in the heat of the moment. Hindsight 2020, Monday 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 morning quarterback, blah blah blah. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that is an important thing to consider too. Is that I think they are, they were trying to sort of temper some of the hysteria as to not oversell um, the incident. I mean, like, why don't they just have, like, Austin just be like, I'm going on a walkabout. Like, I <laughs> I need to I need to find my smile again. And she just fucking, you know, he he just goes out, just walks off into the sunset. And they're like, well, I don't know, man. He he just needs to work some shit out, I guess. I mean, yeah, very compelling, very compelling storyline right there. Well, look, uh, I don't know. Better than uh, the better than a fucking, you know, simulating a car accident. Yeah, but Austin is uh, is a fighter, and Austin, the character that they've built in, 
isn't going to not fight unless there's a reason. And saying the reason is my back hurts, it, it makes the character too weak. I understand why they did it, even if it doesn't hit like all the marks. You know what's not weak? Walkabout. <laughs> Love yourself. That's adve- That's adventurous. Well, I'm this, really uh, aiming for the. Uh, I'm aiming for the charts in uh, Australia. Uh, colon <laughs> wrestling. This segment goes on for so long that Chris Jericho gets a huge pop on his way out. Midian probably could have gotten that pop after all that non-wrestling time. And China's got new music and a little friend with her. <laughs> and a little buddy. Little kitty cat. China apparently won Miss Kitty when he de- she defeated uh, Jeff Jarrett. There is... I watched the Raws. There's no explanation. Just the next night, like, oh, Kitty's here with China? Okay. I guess that's what's happening now. There's one Was night- she a brunette, too? Yes. Yep. As soon so be as soon as she went to China, she was a brunette. Yep. Awesome. Um, there was one night where they were wearing matching T-shirts. China saying "master" and Kitty saying "slave." This is a, what is this fucking Nexium? It's <laughs> 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 fucking Keith Raniere shit right there. Didn't like this one. Well, a little context for this one now, because um, Chris Jericho writes about this experience a lot in his in, in his second book. Uh, that. China, at this point, obviously, this is like the height. One of the, you know, she's towards the peak of her career. I think she actually hits a little higher, uh, still to come. Mm-hmm. But she's really a huge. She's definitely over a huge star. The protect, you know, obviously a commodity for the company. She's dating Triple H. Triple H is a top guy. She has a lot of influence. She has a lot of like political power, and she has kind of like a weird. She's a little fucked up. I think like everyone will tell you like she could. She had these moments where she's the nicest, sweetest, funniest person, and she had these moments where she wouldn't talk to anyone. Um, Jericho, other details. Jericho said she always wore vanilla perfume, um, which sound which I I love as like a contrast to her person like her presentation, but I also hate it when i think of the smell of actual vanilla perfume uh <laughs> and then i will say that's that's that that scent is very much uh something i remember from like the mid to late 90s oh, yeah. um but th- at this point jericho is struggling in the wwf uh he wasn't on the last pay-per-view uh he's getting all kinds of like bad feedback from the from the back he's really trying to like catch up he's really trying to like find his place in the wwf working a lot with Pat Patterson, working a lot with, um, I think, Blackjack Lanza, uh, working a lot just on, like, improving his craft, taking notes, really trying to get over. Um, and so Vince asked him if he'd work with China, and he was so desperate to work with anyone who, like, yeah, yeah. And also, and he said he had no problem, like, you know, you know, he knew that she was, you know, uh, it was sellable because of, you know, she had it was a, this incredible stature and things like that. And she was an above-average worker. Uh so, you know, he's willing to take this on, really making it a project, really throwing himself fully into this for this match, coming up with all the spots. He had to work out all the spots with Triple H, too. Like, Triple H, like, kind of agented all of her matches. Um, so Jericho, you know, put together all the spots for this, uh, including the, the finish. All right. Well, yeah, uh, I hated the, uh, the forced kiss with Kitty. Yeah. That was gross. No point for that. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's tough for me. I don't think I can pull out like 
much that I liked about that. Eh, I guess so. Early on, Jericho um, going for the low blow, I like that. Yeah. Um, exposing the barricade, I thought was interesting. Um, the more interesting thing for me in watching this match, though, wasn't so much the action that was going on in the ring, but what was going on with the crowd, where you audibly had the men cheering for Jericho and the women cheering for China. I didn't pick up on the gender breakdown like that. I think overall, though, it is it is noted historically uh, that Jericho was getting the the cheers here, and uh, and that was more of a react, almost like a Roman Reigns esque uh, to reaction to China's push. Uh, and yes, I think that there is obviously some sexism in there, but that wasn't, I think, the primary motive, the outward motivation. I think Does that makes sense. What do you mean? I don't think they were booing. Uh, I don't think they were cheering Jericho and booing China because they didn't want a woman to win. I think they were uh, booing China because they were tired of of like the two. There was like just too much China. The same way they would boo Roman Reigns or John Cena. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, it was a reaction to the push. I, it, it, but you know, I, I think is there um, some misogyny baked into that? Probably underpinning that. Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's as simple as like get that belt away from that girl <laughs> I think it was more like enough with China already or whatever mm-hmm. um, and the thing with this match to think about too is they both really wanted to prove what they all had they both had something to prove China had been working at this point but her matches had been short or they had been pretty controlled or they had been highly gimmicky and therefore um, easy to cover up a lot of things Jericho mm-hmm. is like hungry to prove himself at, with, at a pay-per-view spot for the Intercontinental Championship. This is a huge opportunity for him at a time when he was really um, struggling, and this was a, a chance for him to show what he can do. So I think there's an attitude going in here of both of them wanting to prove um, that they can have a match match, that China can have a fucking real, a real-ass match with, with spots and uh, barricade work and jumping off the apron and catch it, and Jericho doing a springboard shit and like really have a fucking wrestling match. Uh, and I think what, what it comes down to is, like, that's just not China's thing. And, like, China's yeah. not going to be – is not going to go, like, move for move with Dean Malenko. Like, that's just not uh-huh. – and that's not a knock on her. This is not the kind of performer she is. And that, like – for that, that's not the point of wrestling necessarily, the point of, of sports entertainment. You know, her character, uh-huh. her presentation was about the big – almost like Ultimate Warrior, like a, like the power moves and just, uh-huh. like, those big moments. Uh, so I think that – there was some of that that underpinned this. I made that they made the match feel a little bloated, a little overly ambitious. Um, and I think the finish, while I understood the idea on paper, like why that sounded like a good idea, uh, mm-hmm. in execution it was bad. Yeah, it didn't look good. You're talking about the uh, the pedigree from the top rope. Yeah, which doesn't make like the the whole setup for that. Like even just looking at it, like and again, <laughs> I'm no wrestler, but uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I did not train in the heart dungeon. But I would think for a pet for that move to make sense physically, like in a ma- as a matter of physics, they would be they'd be revert they were like reversed because that match mm-hmm. like what she did to him with him facing outward and her facing inward from the top of the from sitting perched atop the top turnbuckle like there's mm-hmm. no way he wouldn't be able to block that very easily like he he has to jump backwards to make that work mm-hmm. and they weren't even in unison and together with it but if it was the other way. Uh, it would make sense. Like, if they were set up as if she was going okay. to give her a superplex and she underhooked his arms and she jumped backwards, pulling him back with her, with him sitting on top, facing into the ring, then the top rope pedigree would make a lot more sense. 
but this way doesn't make sense. Because ostensibly the pedigree is about hooking the arms and you're selling that you're using your force to drive the person down. Right. Where the way that this worked just looked like he was falling. Yeah, and she couldn't, like, to get away from the turnbuckle like that, like, to get the momentum to go Mm -hmm. upwards didn't make any sense. Like, he Mm -hmm. would be very easily able to grab the ropes or not, or just, like, lock Mm -hmm. his knee. I mean, like, it just doesn't, it was just so obvious and weird. And then to not also, Mm -hmm. like, they weren't in unison enough on the fall to make it look like it was intentional even. And so the whole thing was just, like, womp womp. Wah. Anyone else anything on this one? Um, I will nope. say, though, uh, at the back, Jericho said that uh, everyone congratulated uh, China, and she didn't. He was kind of pissed that she didn't like give him any credit because he's like, I put together the Aww. match and, and carried you pretty much for, through it. And, you know, he just kind of like took all the praise. Um, it wasn't like, oh, well, you know, mm-hmm. I went to Chris. And so he was kind of pissed that um, she didn't kind of give, give him a rub here. But also, he yeah, didn't get he along did, with He did the all that work. He did all that work, and he has to get a sex change after this? <laughs> That's the stip, man. No. <laughs> Look what they did to Kitty. Okay. <laughs> Backstage, uh, Triple H is trying to convince Shane that, that it was not him involved. He says, like, Jesus, Shane, it's a hit and run. As if that's to uh, convince us that all the despicable shit that he's done already, he would not do this despicable shit. Also, does Shane have a cold sore? What's going on in his face? I gotta know. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice. Oh, Shane is a living cold sore. <laughs> I, I think actually like, young Shane is not, it just really rubbed me the wrong way. He's like so, and it's not just the character stuff. Like it's not just his uh-huh. character. There's just like something about his face <laughs> that just irritates me. <laughs> it's that sorry, it's just mean and, and, and petty, but you, this is not my first, you're not first episode of this podcast, I hope. Mean and petty is what we do sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Shane's got um got kind of a Martin Shkreli thing going yes, on. Yes. Oh no! <laughs> Watch out! Don't uh. So don't you, you fall know, in love don't with Don't introduce him. Shane. Can we talk about that for a second, uh, Bobby? You know that we know the person who fell in love with Martin Shkreli, right? No. You, you you saw the um you know the articles yeah. that we're talking about yeah. right like yeah um she's like hung out with us like we've like she's she's gone to like our our memorial day barbecues i when was on I, like uh, a trivia team with her at i was Pacific when i first moved to the city i was on that same trivia team it's yeah, yeah. it's it's crazy like we like every once in a while i'd hear about how she was peddling this book about martin shkreli and then uh, at some and then and like you know we also knew her husband and <laughs> watching that whole thing uh, disintegrate was crazy and then you know like we all we had thought we had like we we suspected that um, that when he said he had somebody who he was like I don't know engaged to or something we all were like maybe it's her but we weren't sure and then this article came out and we were like oh my god it, it definitely is. So, yeah, real weird. I don't know if anybody, if anybody outside of our friend group will want to hear that, but yeah, I thought it was always interesting. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. So then we have another traditional Survivor Series match, uh, including the rebranding 
of a tag team that we haven't seen in quite a while on this show. Too much has become too cool. And I'm sure Eric has a lot of opinions on them, so I want to hear them all. Uh, it took me a little while to place. I was like, wait a minute. Like, too hottie. He sounds familiar. And uh, Grandmaster Sex A, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, wait, that, 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 that laugh. That's <laughs> fucking Brian Christopher. Holy shit. Yeah, um... Oh boy, I don't know. Like, there, I, I want to say the way they wrestled in this match was not bad, but their their gimmick is like they found a gimmick that was even more annoying than their last gimmick. It's kind of amazing <laughs> to me. And I have a real uh, fondness for Too Cool that has nothing to do with anything you saw on this pay per view. What what does it have to do with? <laughs> Gonna have to wait and see on that one. Okay, it you know what it reminded me of. Um, oh God, who were the two guys that were involved with? Uh, oh God, were they involved with like DOA or Los Bariquas or you know what I'm talking about? The 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 two the two rappers who like oh. eventually just, or no they were with the Nation right? Yeah, yeah, with Nation of Domination, Wolfie NC17. D. Who, yeah, 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 yes. yeah. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. And That's it, what they reminded me of a little. And then looking into some stuff for Kurt Angle, um, Kurt Angle actually wrestled some matches down in Memphis against Wolfie D. Um, I will say that, I will say, uh, Brian Christopher should fucking keep the, the GM out of his fucking mouth because unless he is a an expert chess player or a uh you know amazing on the wheels of steel you he has not attained the status of grandmaster yet i don't know which type of grandmaster but he's not either of them i don't think he's good at chess i don't think he's good at djing either yeah there is no furious five surrounding him for sure I'll give him a Furious Five. So in this match, we had um, also the Hollies who came out first, and then they're up against Edge and Christian and the Hardys, who those guys just make so much better enemies than friends. Well, luckily... Yeah, except they can all... Oh, sorry, go on. Luckily, you'll get plenty of that. (laughs) For sure, for sure. I mean, the good, the one good thing about them teaming up is like any two of them together can do a poetry in motion, right? Uh-huh. So they've they've got at least they share the same uh, mo- the one same move set. So this match, like uh, coming down on this match, I it's one where it's like I feel like I liked it, but also it was kind of a big mess where it was pretty difficult to follow the action. Yeah, I agree. I, I think this was like this match was like the um the the meal you get when you're being held captive by your kidnappers where I was just like <laughs> I had Stockholm syndrome from from this whole pay-per-view and I was like oh oh this is a this is actually some good wrestling so I was kind of into it but um yeah I mean I I I didn't like the fact that they got rid of Edge and Matt Hardy really quickly mm-hmm. I was like oh 
I don't know. Those are two really charismatic people. Why do I have to have all four of the other side? Yeah, and I don't really see the uh, the benefit of putting over Hardcore Holly when um, just the pay-per-view before the, the, the other four guys put on just an absolute clinic and it feels like they should be attaching all the momentum to them or keeping all the momentum on them. Well, I think there's nobody lose. I don't think anybody lost momentum in the, because it was so. This is so inconsequential no. and missing so much story. And at this point, Edge Christian and the Hardys are made. They are over officially. They're not like they're they are mm-hmm. over big time. They got a sitting ovation mm-hmm. like the next night on Raw after that pay per view. Like they are that like incredible, never before seen kind of reaction. <laughs> like very over. Um, and I think coming into this, I believe Harker Holly might be in line for a bit of a push coming up, I want to say. So that might make sense why he kind of actually, they were actually helping give him the rub um, because they were already over. And I actually like most of the guys, I actually think most of the guys this match can work. I think the Too Cool was my least favorite part of it. I never was a big Too Cool fan, even at the height of Too Cool. Um, but I did really like, uh, but I like the Hollies and I like obviously everyone else on the other side. Mm-hmm. They had a they had a good uh, what is it like a drop kick off the top ropes to end the match. I thought that was cool. Like I, as we as we've talked about, right? Um, it's cool watching a poetry in motion get fucked up, um, and the way they did it with that with that kick was I you know was fun to watch. Um, I thought Grandmaster Sexay had a a good move with Matt Hardy. It was something that involved like getting Matt Hardy over the ropes and out of the ring, but mm-hmm. can't, I don't really remember what it looked like. I just remember that it was, it was kind of fun to see. And I was surprised that, um, that he was able to pull it off. Cause I, I like, I remember him being like a pretty good wrestler, but he, I think he, they've, I think for, I think wrestling with them, it forced him to expand his move set a little bit more. And um, then, and then Bobby, what would you call Jeff Hardy's like front flip splash? That oh, that was a four, so that was just a four fifty. So cool. Um, also, what was the point of the goggles that um, Brian Christopher put on? Oh, the point? <laughs> <laughs> he was he was get, taking flight. Like nothing happened with that. He took him off and threw him away afterwards. And I was like, cool. That was a good segue for us. Or segue diversion. I don't know. It just it feels like um, cutting two matches from the card and then building up some actual stakes and story in some of these maybe would have been the better choice than trying to cram everything in here. Hey, what do we know? We're yeah. just podcasters. <laughs> Following this match, we got Shane backstage with Test and Stephanie, and we learned that there are extensive injuries to Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, from getting hit by a car. And then we have the Tag Team Championships, the New Age Outlaws versus Mankind and Al Snow. Mankind actually put on a hell of a match on October 25th against Triple H. Very, very fun one there. And at the end of that match with Degeneration X, um comes or someone came out hold on go back 
And at the end of the match, when Mankind is in trouble, that's when Al came out to help him out, and these two teamed up. And they were obviously very good friends in the back, and this is all kidding. You know, it mixed sort of Mick and Al really wanted to to work together. They sort of were pushing for this. Mm-hmm. But this I is... want them to work together too. You know. <laughs> But this is a weird one, too, because first off, it's amazing to me that the New Age Outlaws are still as over as they are with the crowd. And then Al and Mick are doing a whole bunch of heel shit throughout this match. Yeah, it was weird. We had the the double mandible claw spot followed by a double dick kick. And then uh, the spike pile driver at the end where the New Age Outlaws retain... And I was just left with a, an overall feeling of K. Yeah. All right. Mm, yeah. I, I did like El Snow's headbutts. Mm. I think, um, you know, after seeing him uh, headbang to his own music, it was real fun to see him bring the same cadence to his headbutts. I just feel like um, Mick Foley and Al Snow at this point have being the hardcore legends that they are work a lot better in those type of matches or, and, and this team up works better in those type of matches rather than having these strictly wrestling matches yeah I, I, it's like uh, it's weird for me because um, the people who I was really into for you know earlier on in, in our podcast uh purview you know like uh, you know really enjoying steve austin really enjoying mankind like i i'm getting fewer and fewer rewarding matches as mm-hmm. i watch so like i haven't seen a mankind match in a while that i've like enjoyed i still love mick mm-hmm. and i still love like everything he's bringing but like uh i don't know it it, it it's not as there's something it's it, there's something a little bit just kind of like um what I don't know what would you say like at at par of of his performance it's just like all right you know he's gonna he's gonna take a little bit of a beating he's gonna do you know the mandible claw and it's like fun to like him but it's not like I'm not getting the kind of like you know, spectacle that I was getting that got me to the point of loving him. He's got um, one coming up in the near future, Eric, that I think you're really going to like. Great. That's what I want. Um, And Al Snow is also going through a very weird time here. I don't know if you caught it in the commentary, but he had his action figure pulled from Walmart after a... um, assistant professor of communications complained that the head that was packaged in with it was um, satanic no promoted violence against women oh yeah i remember hearing about this i think was it like a listener who brought it who brought this up and we went i went down a whole rabbit hole of uh the al snow action figure i don't know um I'm familiar with the with the whole. I'm I'm pretty familiar with the story. I also remember looking at the action figure and being like, "Oh, this is nowhere near as cool as an action figure I would make of Al Snow." <laughs> like all I want, all I want is them to do like a retro Al Snow action figure that captures his his charisma. Now get Todd McFarlane on the phone. Yes, exactly. I want I want I want to give him the spawn treatment. 
And my last thing to say about this match is JR saying that the New Age Outlaws may be the best tag team of all time in the WWF is LOLOL. Yeah, right? When you've got like another tag team right there in the match with them that I would enjoy much more. And also all the shit that Edge and Christian and the Hardys are doing. But even to go back to like the Road Warriors shit like that but you gotta sell yeah the rockers i mean midnight mm-hmm. express i don't know the, i can't remember this we have territories now but anyway you got better options for sure the godwins sorry <laughs> southern justice so i to go to the main event um and if you didn't pick up on it at this point yet, Eric, on um, October 25th, the same night that Mankind and Triple H met, D-Generation X reunited during the New Age Outlaws versus The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, just another plug for a really fun match. Shane t- took on Triple H on November 1st, and that was a really, really fun TV match. But the question on everybody's mind, including the people who paid good money to see The Rock, Triple H, and Stone Cold Steve Austin square off, is who is going to be the third in this triple threat match? We get The Rock coming in, we got Triple H coming in, and then we hear, well, it's a big show. And I well, it's the big bad show tonight. <laughs> and I did like uh, The Rock and Triple H's reaction to this. And I guess out of everyone in the backstage, um, Big Show makes the most sense to add to this. Yeah, I think you look around, you could say Bulldog. You could say uh, Mankind uh, as, as these. But I think the thinking was obviously that Big Show was a big investment from the company already. Um, mm-hmm. obviously it was like a big project for them and you know putting anyone in that kind of spot uh, would draw the comparisons people are pissed imagine like you bought tickets for this months ago excited that you were going to see your favorite mm-hmm. Stone Cold Steve Austin at the you know in the main event these people there the people watching at home they have to get I mean there's so a reason different. there's a reason that our logo is the rock Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H like there, there are no three that more better embody like the Attitude Era than those three, and Stone Cold Steve Austin again, the biggest fucking star on the planet, out of commission. You got to be like left being what the fuck. Yeah, and I think having. I mean, at this point, at this point, every every pay per view in nineteen ninety nine, I would be like, guys, let's not like let's assume we're not gonna see Stone Cold the way we want to see Stone Cold. How many matches was he in? And I mean, this is an injury that's been nagging him for like, I want to say close to two years at this point. Over two years. Because it wasn't at SummerSlam 97, I want to say. I don't know. I thought it was Survivor Series 97, but I could be wrong. Was this when Owen uh, put him on his neck? Yeah. Uh, No, that was SummerSlam. You're right. And this match, I think it, there's a lot of payoff in this match. Um, and getting to see the big show kind of let loose and be the big show in a lot of this. 
seeing The Rock and Triple H forced to team up to do that suplex of the Big Show through the table was really cool to see. Yeah. Yep. Anyone notice when uh, Rock and Triple H are fighting in the crowd, there's like there's this kid who's got like no chin who gets knocked over by the rock and has like the least expression for somebody who like paid all this money for a wrestling show is like in on the action and is like has nothing to to say or feel about it. <laughs> no, I missed it. I was afraid because I, th- I thought like Dotson was in the it was in the in the area, and I feel like in my head I filled this in that Dotson was like, "Don't you fucking move! Don't you fucking touch them!" Like, like on the, like, camera, and the kid was like, "Okay, don't hurt me." And the guy's like, "I will shoot you! Right- we got we got we got shooters on the roof. Focus on you right now! Don't you fucking make a move!" <laughs> we hit Steve Austin with a car earlier tonight. What do you think we're gonna do to you? <laughs> And then Big Show winds up as the champion here. Vince ran in with the title belt, winds up hitting uh, Triple H in the head. This is after Shane came in as the uh, the second referee, where it definitely looked like he was backstage, put the referee shirt on over his polo shirt to run out as fast as he could. That, I think, was playing to the top of their intelligence. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, after Big Show wins, he just drools on the belt. <laughs> it was so gross. Well, well, fact, but I mean, it's is made of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, it's actually it's a it's it's a chocolate gelt. It's the uh, it, it's the World Wrestling yeah, gelt. gelt. Wait, Eric. I'm, I mean, Eric. You know that you've eaten your belt that we gave you last year at this time, right? Oh my God! I had to share it with people. Yes. Oh, good. Uh, I, I, I gave pieces of the championship out. I was worried that you still had it and would have those little white bits all over it that gets on chocolate when it sit around too long. <laughs> the chalkiness, the chalky chocolate, <laughs> the chalky chocolate. Um, I don't think I needed Vince McMahon involved here. I don't think the Big Show needed Vince McMahon involved here. So just a little bit. But Vince more. McMahon needed to be involved yeah, here. He needed it. I for just himself. think it's. Uh, I think it's. It's just one of those things where they feel like if they have to, you know, bait and switch the audience like this, which their their hand is forced, mm-hmm. then they have to make it as like wild and like maximum wild, maximum unexpected. Because mm-hmm. if it just sort of went down a straight finish, uh, like no shenanigans, just a triple threat, Big Show wins clean. Not even a matter of protecting anyone, since he basically won. You know, I mean, I, I think it would be the same gained or lost. Mm-hmm. Um, cause he actually overcame more adversity. So if anything looked made everyone look worse, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in theory, relatively, but, uh, I think they have to sort of like pile on like swerve after swerve after swerve after false finish after like knockout reps, you know, like at, throw in, throw it fucking all in because, uh, you know, really send them home, like, uh, shaken, like, <laughs> like it really shook them up because they, they, they can't be mm-hmm. mad. They didn't get what they were expecting. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Because like think about it. Also, well, think about it. If you're like, uh, you were sold, you know, Steve Austin, and oops, but never mind, we're just giving you X Pac. Like you'd be like, that fucking sucks. <laughs> but if you're like, oh my god, we were giving you Austin, but then he was hit by a car, and then there was three refs, and oh my, you know what I mean? Then like, suddenly, then it's like, oh, mm-hmm. well, what could you do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you did your best. Thank you. Um, and then we did get so it's just a short amount of time that we've got this story but throughout um big show's uh storyline about his father he talked about how he never finished anything and then he got to finish this win the championship coming off of all of that emotion 
So, yeah. Yeah, there I was like a nice little tight bow wrapped around that. <laughs> he had only had to kill his father to do it. <laughs> and unfortunately, we're going to see him next uh, next pay-per-view putting his title against the big boss man. So look forward to oh, that. Oh, come on. <laughs> but in the meantime. Fuck, man. <laughs> But in the meantime, we've got a little bit more work left to do. For years, WWE hosted a yearly award show called the Slammy Awards. And we end each episode of Hell in the Cell Phone with our own version of the Slammies in a segment we call For Your Reconsideration. I'll go first. I'm so I'm still upset. I hate that I hate that big boss man's star is tied to fucking big show. Um I'm gonna give the uh Hey uh did you get that in a two pack? award to uh generation x for those fucking fishing hats um <laughs> i when i saw when i saw x-pac wearing it to start with i was like what is, what is he a fucking fedora guy now and then i saw um uh road dog had that shit on too and i was like oh god did they like they must have just like gone to Kohl's and just found like uh you know they were just in a it, it was like they were selling hats the way they do like uh, boxers and they're just like all right well and it do the uh, ask mr ass do you want the third we could just give it to you or we give it to a friend whatever yeah there's nothing the bucket hat is a good look for the lead singer of the new radicals and that's it yeah and that's because i don't want to see the the lead singer of the new radicals face like i don't <laughs> care about his face I'm fine with just him being like a hat and lips who, <laughs> you know, sings. I'll go next. I'm going with the uh, Midian touched it award to the Acolytes who after Midian used their theme music the last time around, they're like, nope, nope, we're good. We need new theme music. Let him keep it. <laughs> Let him. It's got his stink on it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna. I just have like a good. I, I was just really excited about the table spot in the, in the last in the main event, and so uh, I'm gonna give the uh, big table setting award to Big Show, Triple H, and The Rock for that double that double team on the outside of the table. I know it's disappointing. I'm sorry. This is what I got for you. No, listen, man. I was really struggling with this one. I was like, uh, I, I don't know what else. Like, if if we started talking about the hats like in detail earlier, I would have been like, fuck, I'm done. I don't know. And with that in mind, love us, disagree, want to make us sit through like 12 matches? Let us know. Email us at hellinacellphone at gmail.com. Get updates on Facebook or Twitter at hellinacellpod or tweet at us individually, Eric at PrimeSilver. Bobby at Bobby Hank and Aaron at Slow Pass. Our theme song is There Are Traitors in Our Mitts by Disco Vietnam and our artist by Alexis Yavni. Find links for both in our episode notes. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back again with another episode next week and join us again in two weeks for Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs>